remembers that, the Beverly Hillbillies? Anybody remember that? Uh, man, I, I watched this show religiously. And here's the gist of, of this sitcom. The family, the Clampets, uh, they live in the backwoods of the Ozarks. They're out uh, hunting, uh, Jed is, shoots at an animal, misses, hits this thing. While up comes oil, they strike it rich, become millionaires, and they move to Beverly Hills. And you talk about culture shock. It was culture shock for the Beverly Hillbillies. Uh, they, they, they go out, they've never seen a swimming pool. So what, anybody remember what they call it? Cement pond. They didn't know anything about indoor plumbing. And they just couldn't believe all the things. It was culture shock. And that's what we're going to talk about today, culture shock. You say, well, Kelly, you went a long way to demonstrate that. Listen, we need to laugh in church. Amen? Uh, but if you watch the show, here's culture shock. Um, here's what the definition. The feeling of disorientation experienced by someone who is suddenly subjected to an unfamiliar culture, way of life, or set of attitudes. Another definition, a state of bewilderment experienced by an individual who is suddenly exposed to a new, strange, or foreign social and cultural environment. If this is your first time at church, you may have church culture shock by what you just, it's new to you. Uh, but anybody ever experienced culture shock? Either been to a new, I'll never forget. One time, uh, my mom and dad experienced culture shock. We were on vacation in, in Putacana, the Dominican Republic. And apparently, over there, it's okay for the women to go topless around the pools and on the beach. So me and dad, <laughs> I don't know if you got, you got to know my dad. So every time we were walking down the beach or we were at, around the pool, uh, and, and we would spot... <laughs> A woman, here, my dad's reaction, good Lord. Oh. He would have the, that was pretty much the extent of our trip. Um, but it was culture shock. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll never forget my wife experienced culture shock with a friend of hers that was living when my, she was single. And a friend of hers from Africa moved here. And uh, Denise couldn't go to church with that morning. So her friend went to church. What, what was her? Marlene. Marlene went to church without her. She comes home from church. And then he said, how was service today? Her friend's response was, oh, a hell of a service. <laughs> and Denise was like, uh, see, that was culture shock because over there that was acceptable. It was acceptable. But here in America, listen, if you, do not, if you say hell without talking about the literal hell, well, you are going to the literal hell. Back then, you, you, you understand what I'm saying. It's culture shock. And maybe you visit another country. Maybe you visit somewhere like the north. <laughs> Come on, little humor. Little humor. Come on now. I know we've got a lot of northerners here. Uh, uh, but maybe you've experienced it. Maybe you've experienced it in the new church. Not that it's bad. It's just different from what you're used to. Are you following me? 
And, and, and so the, the, we've got this. Here's what culture, when we talk about culture, because that's what this series is, bringing the king, culture of heaven to earth. Bring up the, the definition of culture. The atmosphere created in a group of people by their shared values, attitudes, beliefs, and practices that influences the way they live. Here's the truth. Everything has a culture. Your home has a culture. Your place of business has a culture. Uh, restaurants have a culture. Uh, if you've been to Chick-fil-A, you know what their culture is. Uh, every place has its own culture. The place where they have shared values, uh, attitudes, beliefs, and practices. In fact, there's a famous quote by a guy named Peter Drucker that says this, Culture eats strategy for breakfast. Here's what he means by that. The culture of your company, your home, your church, it doesn't matter what your strategy or plan is if the culture is not right in that environment. Here's what one business article said about culture. Culture isn't about comfy chairs and happy hours at the office. Rather, it is more about the ways your employees act in critical situations how they manage pressure and respond to various challenges, and how they treat partners and customers and each other. I believe that's true of the church. That it isn't about how comfortable your chair is that you're sitting in, the aesthetics of the building. Instead, it's more about how we, the members, the owners, act in critical situations, how we manage pressure and respond to challenges, and how we treat others, those inside this house and those outside the house. The culture. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. Culture also eats vision and, eat and mission statements for breakfast. Our culture, our mission and vision statement may be love God, love people, serve others, but it doesn't matter what that says if our culture doesn't exemplify that. Are you hearing me? We can have a great plan. We can have a great vision statement, mission statement, but if the culture is toxic, it will derail and sabotage any plan you have. As we talk about culture in this house, and we talk about praying the prayer of Jesus and wanting to see his kingdom come, his will be done on earth that is in, is in heaven. Why is it important to us? Because here's the thing. If you say something is important to you, but your actions show something else, bring, bring up that first if you're taking notes. The gap between what you say and what you do nullifies the strength of your vision. And nullifies it. You can say, this is what I want. But if your actions say something else, it nullifies what you're saying you want. You can say, I want to lose weight and eat and get healthy. But if you go home and then you open up a box of Swiss Miss Rolls or Swiss Rolls and you devour the whole box. Oh, I'm preaching too good. Y'all got quiet on me. I'm that, somebody's saying, he's a, he's a prophet right now. I'll tell you right now. That was me last night. I ate a whole box. Casey Goins. I ate a whole box. <laughs> 
See, the thing is, we can say we want his kingdom to come. His will be done on earth and is it in heaven. We can put it on t-shirts. We can put it on bumper stickers. We can come up with gifts to share on social media. We can do a series about it. Sing songs about it. But if what we say isn't lining up with what we're doing, it doesn't matter. Again, Jesus spent a lot of time talking about the kingdom of God. Matthew alone, he made statements like Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. That same chapter, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. In Matthew 20, the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. Matthew 19, let the children come to me. Don't stop them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. The Sermon on the Mount which all those come from. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus Get the, the word that perfectly describes kingdom culture, God's culture, heaven's culture, is this. Different. It's different from the world's culture. It's different from how the world says we should live, how we should respond. In fact, the kingdom, it's not just counterculture. Bring that point up. The kingdom agenda is not just counterculture. It's Christ culture. When Jesus told us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth and And get this, Jesus didn't say, hey guys, here's what I want you to do. Sit around and wait for it to happen. He said, no, I want you to actively pursue this. I want you to be praying for it. I want you to be saying, God, let your kingdom come. Let it invade earth. Your will be done. If Jesus said for us to pray, stay with me. If Jesus said we need to pray for God's will to be done, Apparently, God's will isn't always done. Are you with me? If God's will is always done, why would Jesus tell us to pray for it? Because here's a fact. God's will isn't always done on earth. How do you know that, Kelly? Well, let me ask you a question. Is it God's will for young boys and girls to be sold in? God's will for a little over 800,000 babies to be aborted in the U.S. alone? Is it God's will for racism to run rampant? Is it God's will for children to grow up in poverty? So God's will isn't always done. That's why Jesus said, pray. Your will be done. Your will be done. And here's the thing, because I, I could go on, is it God's will for this? Is it God's will for the divorce rate in the church to be just as high as that in the world? Come on. Is it, God, is it God's will? But here's the thing, guys. The point number one, God wants to partner with us in activating his kingdom agenda. I don't understand it, Chris, but for some reason, God has limited himself and his activity in this world to a degree because he's wanting us to partner with him. I mean, me, I would be like, 
you know what? These people, they mess up so much. I'm just going to do it. But God wants to partner with us. Yeah, I mean, here's the truth. The things we do, the preaching, the teaching, when we pray for one another, we pray for the sick, when we care for the homeless, when we open our doors to the addicts, and, and when we open up our hearts to the LGBTQ community and, and say, hey, we love you right where you're at. We believe God has a plan for your life and can change you. When we do that, when we work toward justice and reconciliation, all those things are practical solutions to the prayer that Jesus prayed. Pray, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's waiting for us to partner. He wants to bring the culture of heaven to earth. In Ezekiel 22, man, it's such a sad verse. God's talking about how far Israel has fallen and how far they've, they've fallen for, away from him. And then he makes this statement in verse 30. I looked for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. I searched for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so that I wouldn't have to destroy the land. But I found no one. That's sad. Jesus says, I look for someone to partner with me. But I couldn't find one person that would partner with me. A.J. Gordon said this. He said, you can do more than pray after you've prayed. But you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. I'll read that again just in case you kind of got lost. You can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Walter Wink said this, bring that quote up. History doesn't belong to the people we naturally think it belongs to. Belong to armies, corporations, or global media empires. Get this. History belongs to the intercessors. It belongs to those who pray the future into being. I, maybe that excites me more than it does you. God says, hey, you, you want to create the future? You want the future you want? You tired of seeing these things going on in your world? Pray. Intercede. Intercede and see what God does. So God wants to partner with us in activating his kingdom. The second thing, God wants his presence to change the atmosphere. Remember our definition of the kingdom, what life looks like in the presence of God. So the culture of heaven is first and foremost about the presence of God. In fact, get this, in heaven... And then when we get to heaven, it will be impossible to ignore the presence of God. I mean, you won't be able to do. You won't be able to ignore the presence of God because that's what makes heaven, heaven. You want, you want a good picture of the culture of heaven? Any, anybody? I, I want to read it to you from Revelations 21, verse 3, 4. I heard a loud shout from the throne, heaven, saying, Look. God's home is now among his people. He will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them. Here's the picture. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And no more sorrow. No more crying or pain. All this. No sin. 
No sorrow, no cancer, no pain, no sadness, no separation from God. And Jesus said, pray that the culture like that invades this earth. Like that the culture of heaven began to shape and influence this world. Let's, let's make a smaller go. What would it look like if the culture of heaven began to shape and influence our marriages, our homes? What would the culture, what, what would it look like if the culture of heaven began to influence where we worked? That when we walked into the office, when we walked in the break room, the factory, the whole atmosphere shifted. Because you brought the culture of heaven into it. What would happen? Heaven began to influence and shape this church and the people in it. Come on. begin to shape our schools, our neighborhoods, and begin to shape, begin to influence and invade this place to a point that it got so full of his presence that it began to seep out the doors, the cracks, the crevices. And then before we knew it, it was going down the hill, down there on the Highway 68, flowing all across the highway. And then the cars that drive by here, well, they began to drive through it. And then tracks of his presence just began to go wherever they were going. I would see that Meigs County, Ray County, Sweetwater, I say those places would be transformed. What's it? Why is it? Because God's waiting for us to partner with him. See, is it, you say, Kelly, is that even possible? The question is not, is it possible? The question is, are we willing to partner with him? Are we willing to allow his presence to change the atmosphere? Because we need to understand, bring up that point for me. When Jesus tells us how to pray, what he's doing is this. He's revealing his heart for us in the here and now. The right here, the right now. Here's what I want to happen in the right here and right now. Not in the sweet by and by. Not in some far distant time away. No, right now. Bill Johnson said it like this. We owe the world an encounter with a mighty God. We. We cannot just be satisfied with getting saved in our fire insurance that we have now. We owe the people we work with, the people we go to school with, the people that live in our neighborhoods, the people at the restaurant that wait on us, the people at the gas station that we pull up to. We owe them an encounter with God. question has to be asked of every believer in this room and those watching online is this are we going to take the prayer of Jesus serious look at what Jesus says in Matthew 18 19 and 20 again I say to you that if two believers on earth agree that is are of one mind in harmony about anything they ask within the will of God it will be done for them by my father in heaven here's the kicker Verse 20, for where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there. Where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there. See, here, this setting, we're not here to gather and socialize. Are you hearing me? 
We're not here to gather, hear a few worship songs, hear a message, have somebody make us laugh, leave here, go eat lunch, and then just live life like nothing ever happened. We are here on a Jesus agenda, a Jesus assignment. A Jesus, because Jesus said, if you will just gather, I'm going to be right there. Gather in my name. I am there with you. Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians 4.20. For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It is living by God's power. Can I tell you, this community is tired of the church just talking? I'll, I'll get more real since... The people you do life with are tired of hearing you talk the talk. They're ready to see you walk the walk. They're tired of hearing about it. They want to see God's power on display through you. Are, are you here? Are you with me, church? I mean, that, that's what they, they want to see, man. They want to see what, what kingdom culture actually looks like. They want to see a reason why they need to leave the life they're living right now. What makes you so better? What makes you so different? Because a lot of the times when they look at Christians, they see they're in the same pit of self-pity. They're in the same pit of selfishness. They don't do anything different. They're, What's different than way? Come on now. And they're looking on. Show me a reason. I know my life is not great right now. But show me a reason why I need to step into this kingdom. So what does the kingdom culture look like? I am so glad you asked. Three things that mark the kingdom, kingdom culture. The first is this. Unconditional, self-sacrificial love. Hmm, that's culture shock. Because that's not what we've been taught. Oh, yeah. Come on, right? I mean, we're taught if, if someone doesn't like us, someone doesn't post something, if they post something nasty about us, it's okay for us just to dislike them back and then post something negative about them. In fact, this is, this is culture shock for a lot of Christian people. Be careful what you post on Facebook, Pastor and Pastor Denise is watching. In fact, I think I'm going to do a series uh, one day, Harvey, where I'm going to just post different people in our church their Facebook post. Hmm. You exposed it. I didn't. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 43 through 47. You're familiar with the old written law, love your friend, and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. I'm telling you, love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. And look what else he says. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. For then you are working out of what? Your true selves. You're working out of what? Your God-created selves. And that is what God does. He gives His best. The sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone regardless. And then finally, the good and the bad, the nice and the nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? 
Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to, to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. Here's what Jesus is saying. When you love those that have hurt you, when you love those that have criticized you, when you love those that have done you wrong, when you love those that have got on Facebook, got on social media, and just told lies or told things about you, when you love the least of these, those that don't deserve your kindness, those that don't deserve your love, your mercy, he's saying in that moment you have never been more like Jesus. Anybody can love the lovable. Come on. Anybody can say hi to somebody that's nice to them. But then Jesus says this. He ends it with this. Verse 48. Pull that up. In a word, what I'm saying is, say those two words. Run. Say those two words. Run. Jesus wouldn't say that. <laughs> We're going to do a series. We've already been planning it called Savage. And we're going to look at some of the things Jesus did that would make you like, not my Jesus. Because I think we're all used to this plain, just tender, and just... But I'm going to tell you, there was the Jesus that ran the money changers out of the temple. There, were, there was the Jesus that told the woman, said, hey, hey, you're right, you're not married. In fact, you're married five times and you're living with a guy right now. Jesus says this, grow up. You're kingdom subjects now. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others. How? The way God lives toward you. Grow up, Jesus says. And I'm not pastoring to say it. This is God. I'm just thinking what the Bible says. Grow up. Grow up. Live out your kingdom identity. Live out who God says you are. Let's close with this. I know you're like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I've got two more points, and I'm going to get to them. In 1957, Martin Luther King preached a message in Montgomery, Alabama, titled Love Your Enemies. Here's some points from that message, if you'll help me, Kelsey. We must discover the power of love. The power, the redemptive power of, of love. And when we discover it, discover that, we will be able to make this old world a new world. We will be able to make men better, and love is the only way. At one moment in this, in this message, MLK's preaching, he makes this radical statement. He says this, This morning... As I look into your eyes and into the eyes of all my brothers in Alabama and all over America and all over the world, I say to you, I love you. I would rather die than hate you. And he goes on, I'm foolish enough to believe that through the power of this love somewhere, men of the most recalcitrant bent will be transformed. I just said that word really quick because I had no idea I'd say it. And then we will be in what? When we begin to do this through the power of God's love, even the most evil men, men will be bent and they will be transformed. Then we will be seeing the kingdom of God. Man, let me just stop right there.
the church has been bad too long about doing this. Seeing only the outside of a person and coming up with all these assumptions about who they are and what they are. I'm, I'm going to tell this on Eddie. I love this guy right here. I love his worship. He told my wife this. Eddie joined the church, what, two, three weeks ago? Yeah. He told, his, he told my wife, he said, when I come in here, I saw all these guys with tattoos. It broke my heart. But then I began to see them worship and love on Jesus. And something in me changed. I told you all this last week. I spoke at a men's conference. Uh, up in, I did one of the breakout sessions up in Harriman. And uh, I dressed in my normal fashion, uh, had, and I had my flat bill hat on uh, that I love to wear. And um, after, at the end of it, uh, a gentleman came up to me, older gentleman, he said, I need to apologize to you. I'm like, what for? He said, when you walked in here, I saw your tattoos, I saw the sleeve, I saw your flat bill hat. We know what kind of people wear those. Those are his words. And I thought, what is this guy doing in here? And then when they introduced you as a pastor, and then when I sat in your class and heard you speak, he may not look like the person you think he should like, but he's the person I created him to be. And here's the thing, guys. Too long we've looked at attitudes. We've looked at different things and, we, and we've, our, we've come up with assumptions about those people without saying, God, let me see them as you see them. Because I promise you, when God looks at them, he doesn't see a prostitute. He doesn't see a drug addict. He doesn't see an alcoholic. He doesn't see someone molested. He doesn't see someone that's been married five. He sees a child of God. This finishes out. We will be able to matriculate into the university of eternal life because we have the power to love our enemies. Then he ends, to bless those persons that cursed us, to even decide to be good to those persons who hated us. And we even prayed for those persons who despitefully used us. That's a man that if there ever was one had every reason in the world to hate. Come on. Had every reason to lash out. And he's saying if we will begin to love people right where they are, even those that are bent terribly, we will see them transformed and that will see the kingdom of God come into play. He's talking about bringing the culture of heaven to this ugly world we live in, guys. Let me ask you a question. Do the things you post on social media, Facebook, or on somebody else's page, do they reflect your agenda or the kingdom's agenda? Do they reflect your political party's agenda or God's agenda? Come on. Because we are called to reflect 
God's agenda, period. The second, and these next two will be quick. The second thing that marks the kingdom's culture, Christ formed character and attitudes. Meaning the followers of Jesus do the right thing, not the easiest thing, not the most convenient thing, but the right thing even when it's the hard thing. We do it. Followers of Jesus do it for the right reason. When it comes to kingdom and heaven's culture, it's not about you. It's not about what's best for you, what's in it for you. It's about this. Will it bring God God glory? Will it cause his name to be glorified? That's what it's about. Followers of Jesus do the right the things in the right way. They do it with honor, with integrity, with humility and gratitude. Here's the truth. It's not just your actions that speak. Your attitude actually speaks more. My wife will tell you this, man. God had to work with her because she could be having a conversation with you and she might not say anything with her mouth, but her face, you could tell, oh, she don't like it. And I love it because I watched God change some things in her. And anytime we would go into a meeting, she started praying, God, help me watch my facial expressions. Why? Because she didn't want her agenda to be done. Showing God's agenda to be done. And a lot of times, God's agenda is a lot more different than our attitudes toward, towards it. Are you hearing me? I don't even move on. It's not an action speaks your attitude. Our attitudes have to honor God. What does your heart look like, church? Because you can go feed the hungry. You can help a widow, a single mom out. You can serve here on Sundays. But what about the attitude you do it in? The third thing that marks kingdom culture is we have a make things better mindset. I tell my staff and leadership, don't come to me telling me the problem unless you have a solution to help. Or, or a, hey, hey, here's a problem. How can we make it better? Don't just come to me telling me the problem. I want to know, hey, are you on board to make this better and fix this thing? Because I know as a pastor, we've got problems all over this place. Look at your neighbor. That was supposed to be funny. Problems all over the place. I mean, question, I, I'll never forget when Denise and I first moved up here. I think we made more enemies than we did friends in the church. Because I had people that were really bad about coming and telling the pastor everything that a person did or said or was doing. And I'll never forget this person coming into my office and said, Pastor, this person, blah, blah, blah. And I, I said, well, hold on, hold on a second. I want to get them on the phone and bring them into the office. And let's sit down. Oh, no, 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 they can't. No, I told you this. I said, then, I said, then you can't tell me. I said, because I'm not going to sit here and listen to you badmouth somebody else. I said, let's find out what the problem is and allow God to bring healing. Believe it or not, they never come to me with any more of those issues. How do we solve it? Because I know when there's some, the we don't have to tell the world how jacked up it is. What they're waiting for is people that will come along with kingdom culture show them solution. I don't know about you, but I want to bring culture shock into every area I walk into. 
Oh, man, that's different. Why, why did they react that way? I, if it had been me, I'd have said this or I'd done that. And they look, man, what is that? What is different? I want to bring cultural shock to this country. I want to close with this. Anybody say, Kelly, I hear you talk about purpose that's living this kingdom culture out. I would love to know what I'm here for and what my response. Anybody, anybody want to know? I got about 10% of you. Some of you are like, no, I'm happy being dumb. Claim, I want to claim ignorance as long as I can. Well, then you better close your ears because I'm about to read from the Bible what you're supposed to do. Matthew 15, 13, 16. Jesus, let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. He goes on. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? Let me ask you before I end this. Where does this church sit? Then let's finish this scripture. I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, what are you going to do? Shine! Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. You've been put there for a reason. Shine. Be salt. Be light. All right, we did a series on this. Hey, be salty and get lit. That's your job. That's your job. Stand with me across this room.